you know, this is an opportunity to start thinking about not only the money aspects of work, but the mission. You know, what is it that you want to be said about you? What do you want your legacy to be? And for the first time in many people's lives, this may be the first time where they may be able to balance the two and really do something that is very fulfilling and rewarding to them. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hi, and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. It's Rick Nusky here, and I just want to stop and pause and say thank you so very much for supporting the show. Your feedback is humbling. Now, on today's show, I'm with the wonderful Dr. Greg Lunsford, and we're going to be talking about his book, Exit from Work. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rick. I appreciate being here. Yes, look, it's absolutely my pleasure to have you here now. Uh, you're a wealth advisor. You have more than 25 years uh, in the financial services industry. So you know a little bit about the game, but it's customary for us uh, before we take a deep dive into your book and all of those elements to learn a little bit more about your personal life. I'd love to learn what uh, you like to do when you're not in the workplace. <laughs> well, you know what? Most of my time outside of the workplace is devoted to my family uh, simply because uh, doing uh, what I do, I tend to take a lot of time away from my family. So uh, my, as I tell people, my day job is working with uh, clients on uh, private high net worth uh, issues. Uh, in addition to that, as we'll dive into as we, as we get a little longer, further along in the in the interview, uh, I have a second life and that is sort of as a, uh, uh, a social scientist and researcher where I uh, research retirement transitions and I use the two together. And so uh, I tend to take a lot of time away from my family because mm -hmm. I have a daytime and I have a secondary job and they all blend together uh, to hopefully uh, make the uh, retirement transition better for folks. And so when I have free time, really enjoy uh we we like to cook together as a family uh we like road trips uh every once in a while i'll get around to golf in so it's really about uh, enjoying those precious uh, moments that i have with my family uh before my children uh go off and start their own lives uh, so that's where i spend my time yeah thank you so very much i, I wonder um do you do you enjoy other sports what what particular sports do you enjoy the most you know what? Uh, I am really missing baseball right now. Oh, that yeah. was the sport I grew up uh, loving and playing as, as a child uh, and through high school and a little bit in college. Um, and then I also, um, although I've, I've cut back on it a little bit, but every once in a while I enjoy a good football game as well. Fantastic. I, I, I wonder, I sit here and I think to myself, uh, if there's one thing that's constant in life is that time will tick by slowly but surely and, and we all move into, you know, another phase of our life and then another and then another. But oftentimes, uh, you know, we don't necessarily think about the, I guess, the forward future into retirement. Now, is where, what compelled you to write this wonderful book, um, Exit from Work? Uh, I, I kind of view it as it was just something I was, it was meant for me to do. Um, you know, I have been in financial services for over 25 years and uh, was part uh, uh, or in the industry, I should say, working with uh, high net worth private clients 
when the market uh, had its first major disruption back in 2008. Mm -hmm. And so um, in 2008, as you know, uh, the global economic crisis caused a lot of stress on a lot of households and individuals. Uh, People lost jobs, people lost homes, uh, people lost hope. And what I was noticing uh, at the institution I was working for at the time, uh, there were uh, people that were coming into the private wealth division and they were saying, hey, um, my company just gave me a great deal. Um, They asked me if I'd like to retire out early um, and here's the exit package. And I would look at it in a lot of cases and I would say, this is a great package. And I would do what uh, many of us were conditioned uh, to do in our industry, many of us were led to believe and even trained to to to, to think this way, mm-hmm. um, and that was, uh, for the most part, we thought of uh, a retirement decision as an economic choice, meaning that if a person could afford to retire, they would retire because why work when you can go and do whatever else you want to do? Work was kind of viewed as a necessary means to an end, and sort of in some cases. Uh, this thing you had to do until you could do better and get the financial freedom and flexibility that you wanted. And it was even played out in a number of commercials, you know, whether you watched them and they said, you know, what's your retirement number? Is this, you know, once you hit this magic number, uh, then it was all over and you would make a different uh, work-life balance choice. Mm -hmm. And so what I was noticing was that these people were coming in and they were sad. It looked like someone had, you know, done harm to their favorite pet or, you know, the world was going to end. And at first I thought it was just the stress of the times. But then I came to notice that there was a trend developing. And so I, you know, was trying to explain to my company, there's something wrong with the people that walk through our doors and some of our clients, and I don't understand it. And you know, I don't, you know, I didn't feel as though I was getting traction or I was getting hurt in the way that I wanted to get hurt. And so I said, I have to figure this out. And so uh, independently, I went back to school, uh, to Case Western University, enrolled in the doctoral program in the School of Business to study um, not just retirement, because there was literature out there about retirement, but what exactly happens in a work transition, a late late stage work transition. What I really wanted to know is in addition to the things that we do financially to help clients, what do we need to know uh, about social emotional aspects of the transition that would make retirement planning more robust and really prepare a person to make the transition. And so uh, that has been my life's work uh, in addition to what I do uh, on the financial side, helping people plan uh, for their goals and dreams and life events. I do it and my goal is personally to change how uh, we approach uh, uh, retirement planning because before we were doing really a test of uh, financial readiness. Mm-hmm. Right now, what I want to do is, and that's a very important part. I don't mean to discount that, that in any way, yeah. but in addition to that, it needs to be more holistic and it needs to include life readiness because the two go hand in hand. That's great insight. Thank you so very much for, for taking the time to share that. Now, I wonder, you talked about trends before. I wonder um, if we go back to 2008 and we think about the things you've just mentioned, are we seeing, a, I guess, a return of similar events now? And and if so, how relevant uh, is, is inside of your book for people today? You know, I the one thing I find a bit ironic is I uh, 
developed my curiosity and started my study after a global financial crisis, right? And it launches at the beginning of the next global financial crisis. So um, I can't tell you that I was uh, uh, that I had any in- insight <laughs> in terms of the timing, but it just kind of worked out that way. Yeah. I think I think a lot of it is very relevant because what I talk about in my book, um, I start off by explaining what this thing called retirement is and how was it formed, but really what the uh, the, 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 the meat and potatoes, uh, I think, of the book are, after you understand why these things are structured the way they are, what can I do to shape my own future? And I think it, it, it is, is relevant now as it was then is because uh, a lot of people feel as though they're hopeless and things are happening to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I try to address in the book is how can you prepare so you can best take command of the situation? Rather than let things happen to you, um, you know, there is a lot that you're capable of. And actually, this stage is really the best stage of your life when you really think about it because you're wiser than you've ever been. Um, You've maybe raised your family, so your uh, commitment to others may be uh, less than it has been in the the 20, 30 years prior, maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, You um, know your likes and your dislikes. Right. And uh, maybe you're uh, more economically uh, better off than you were at the start of your career. Maybe not, but you have more tools in life that um, you control personally than ever before. And so a lot of people, one, never take inventory to understand what those tools are. And two, two, um, once you take inventory and understand what those are, um, you should gain feelings of empowerment and take actions to let you know that, you know what, I can overcome this. Just like, you know, in 2008, which we all believe was the greatest financial disaster we'd ever see, Mm -hmm. and now this came along, we survived it in some way, right? Just as we would survive this, you know, as we talk about, you know, we look at and make comparisons comparisons from a uh, health uh, science standpoint of uh, coronavirus and the Spanish flu, Mm -hmm. uh, we also have to make uh, comparisons and maybe there are some parallels because uh, the Spanish flu was followed by the roaring 20s, right? So we have to believe that we will go out and be able to celebrate with our friends again and be prepared for how life might be different and take control of those, those opportunities. This is about adaption, look, looking at history, learning from learning a lesson from history, and it's almost as if it's repeating itself, isn't it? it, it in, a, in a lot of respects, it is. Yeah, fantastic. Now, I, I wonder, is this about, uh, you know, you, you mentioned earlier about um, life happening to them, decisions being made for them, they're losing that level of control. Is this about a couple of things that I'd like to explore? Goal setting, personal goal setting and mindset? Can we talk about those two things and how they relate to this? Absolutely. So, you know, in a number of ways, people are feeling that things are happening to them, right? In, in some regards, they are happening to them. I mean, you get laid off. I mean, there, you you may you may have had a great year the year before. It's just that now the company has to lay off ten thousand people, and you were you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. But mm. uh, also, uh, the the structure of um, of resources. Uh, uh, has changed a great deal. So there used to be pension plans uh, almost in every company that guaranteed you uh, some form of income 
for for a lifetime. A, a lot of those plants have been eliminated for defined uh, defined uh, uh, defined contribution plans, such as four hundred one k's, where you save and hopefully you saved enough. Yeah. Uh, you start looking at the mounting costs of health insurance. You know, the average household will spend over a hundred thousand dollars on healthcare needs after age seventy. You know, that's a large number for many people to tackle, right? And then you start to look at, you know, some of the safety nets, some of the public safety nets, and you question if they will be in place. And so we're all having to do more with less. And so there is a reason why people feel like uh, things are happening to them, right? And then uh, I think your second, uh, um, correct me if I'm wrong, your second point was in uh, in, in well-being and, and, and planning. Yeah, goal setting. Um, and, Goal you know, setting, yeah. correctly, correct. I was amazed as I did my research um, to, to find that, you know, very, a lot of people um, don't set goals around finances and uh, career transition and things like that. Uh, one, I think we were spoiled a little bit in that, you know, before our the institutions we work for took care of it for us, right? So we looked at the cohort ahead of us. Uh, as they retired out, they got a nice pension. It took care of them for life. And you said, okay, that'll be done for me. And so what this is, what has occurred as a result of that is we have a very low rate of financial literacy. Um, according to researchers uh, at the University of Chicago, only about 30% of the U.S. population is financially literate. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not intelligent because, you know, as I point out, people may be extremely accomplished, you know, and very wealthy, but mm -hmm. they still never, ever had to take on um, certain responsibilities when it came to thinking about just basic things like budgeting, understanding asset allocation, investment instruments, uh, saving, what are the appropriate types of accounts to use for tax advantages, things of that nature. And so, you know, I am always amazed um, and I've made it part of my practice when I sit down with folks after I've done their analysis for, with the, for them, um, I always tell them at the beginning of the meeting, I think you're going to be well, or I think there may be challenges financially uh, for you, uh, simply because I want them to relax during the meeting. Yeah. Right. And so I'm, I'm often find that, you know, that I will run into people that have, uh, amassed millions of dollars of wealth, but they have never really sat down to think about uh, where it comes from, what it can do for them, and where they may have gaps or where they may have surpluses and, and move from there. So I think people plan on, you know, what types of things they want to do. They don't necessarily plan out the tools such as, and money is a tool, mm -hmm. uh, the tools, how to get the tools that they need to execute at certain periods of time. Yeah, that's, again, wonderful insight. Now, we know that we're living longer, uh, generally mm -hmm. speaking, and we, have a and we have a financial system that we all live by. Do you think, given that we are living longer, that the financial systems that we live by are evolving to, to meet that, uh, that longevity? Uh, I don't necessarily know that they are evolving. Uh, like I said, um, and I don't necessarily know that they were ever designed to evolve um, mm -hmm. in that way. And that's one of the points that I make in my book. Um, and so there, there are two things that I, that, I, that, that I point out. First of all, we are living longer. And so if you look at it, um, if you reach age 70, um, you have a high 
chance of reaching age uh, 85, uh, given uh, um, uh, what some of the data suggests, right? Uh, because usually if you've made it that far, you probably have good patterns um, in terms of, of health or there've been advances in medicine that can help you where you may have deficits, right? So I think one of the things that uh, people have to realize is, you know, if uh, we are planning and I'm just using um, the, the numbers that we use uh, in the industry that uh, come from places like the IRS to plan out required minimum distributions and mm -hmm. IRAs. Mm -hmm. If we're looking at that and they set a target at age 90, if you are retiring in your 60s, you're really retiring when you're middle age, where before retirement was something you did in old age, right? And yeah. so the first thing that I think people should think about is, you know, you are still young uh, when you when you tend to retire. And so um, that can cut two ways, right? Some people may go, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Uh, how do I come up with 30 years of resources? The other part of it may be they may look the other way, which I hope they do. And these are the people I call thrivers and they go, I got a 30 year life bonus, mm -hmm. right? And guess what? I'm young and I'm middle-aged. So what we tell before when 60 was old age, um, or 65, which is the uh, used to be the target retirement date, full retirement date. We t if we say, you know, did we ever tell when, when we were targeting age 65, did we ever tell 40-year-olds life is over for you? We didn't. We told them how much promise they had. So why aren't we telling people um, that are in their 60s and their 70s that they have lots of promise that, hey, you can exit industry, but you don't have to. Um, you can leave your business, but you don't have to. Not only that, you're smarter than you've ever been. You're wiser than you've ever been. You have more financial resources than you've ever had. And you may have less commitment to others uh, at this stage because you've raised your family and, and you can go on. It's very possible and uh, probably would be a lot of fun for you to start a business for you to pursue something that you were really passionate about and that you explore the benefits of work, uh, the full benefits of work. And we tend to think of the benefits of work from a financial standpoint, mm -hmm. but work has meaning. Work gives us, gives us uh, something to get up for, to do passionately every day. It, it defines our identity in a lot of cases. And so, you know, this is an opportunity to start thinking about not only the money aspects of work, but the mission, you know, what is it that you want to be said about you? What do you want your legacy to be? And for the first time in many people's lives, this may be the first time where they may be able to balance the two and really do something that is very fulfilling and rewarding to them. You know, earlier in life, when we, in life, when we have more commitments to other people, we may not have focused so much on the full benefits of work. We may have solely focused on the financial aspects, and that may have, what, may have been what made it look more like a chore, right? I have to pay the mortgage. I have to pay tuition. And now you can think about it. This is something I do simply because I want to give back. You know, I want to mentor a young person. I want to start a non-for-profit. I want to convert a hobby into something that I think I could put a patent on, and it can change the way a person approaches something in life for the better. These are great times to do those kinds of things. We just have to have the self-confidence to do them. I love this call. This is so empowering. It's uplifting. It gives those who are listening to the My Future Business show today, uh, Greg, some hope that, hey, look, you know, 
I'm not going to put the bat down. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to keep swinging at this. Right. So that's wonderful insights, uh, invigorating. Now, I wonder, you talked a little bit about uh, relationships before. I wonder how this affects um, relationships, um, you know, your spouse. Can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. So um, as it relates to relationships, there are two things I want to touch on in relationships. And, and before we uh, finish, there was one thing that I did want to go back to mm -hmm. is that we were talking a little bit about retirement. And I, I mentioned that I want to talk a little bit about the structure of retirement because I think all of this goes hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, one of the things as it relates to your relationship with your spouse or partner, uh, one of the challenges and one of the reasons, and I think may very well be the primary reason a lot of people don't do these checks to see where they stand financially is simply because spouses don't work together, right? And so uh, when you think about you know, your commitments while you're working, right, you and your spouse tend to talk more, whether you are dividing labor or you're doing things in a pool, such as all the money goes in one account, you pay all the bills out of the account, or you're dividing labor and say, hey, you take the mortgage and I'll take the car notes and the tuition. Um, there is communication among spouses. But there is data that suggests when it comes to that retirement planning, most spouses don't know what goes on in the other spouse's retirement yeah. benefit plan. Right. And so one of the reasons that the conversation is scary is for the first time they have to sit down and have this conversation with what if my spouse is upset with me because they thought I was putting more into the 401k than, <laughs> than, than, I, than I was, or they may know how much I'm putting in, but maybe I changed my elections, or they may not know anything. You know, uh, I once um, served on the board of an organization and we thought we were giving this wonderful benefit to the employees of direct deposit. And some of them came back and said, I don't want direct deposit. And they were like, well, why would you want a paper paycheck? I want a paper paycheck because my spouse don't know, doesn't know how much I make. <laughs> you know, there, there, there is still some of that division that goes yeah. on in households. Yeah. And so when you start looking at uh, retirement, if you don't have that conversation and you're assuming that your partner is going to get the retirement plan that their father got because they work for the same company, you could be very wrong. If you assume that that um, public safety net is going to be what your mother got, you could be very wrong, right? And so, you know, you have to have the conversation. And I think the reason people put things off uh, is because they're afraid of what could come out in the conversation. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Every day you don't have the conversation, that's another day you don't correct the behavior and develop a plan to move forward, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're taking time away that, uh, that you could be using to cure deficits if they exist. And oftentimes we find out that the, the deficits don't exist. And if the deficits uh, don't exist, how much stress and anxiety have you added to your life, especially in a period of financial uh, 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 turmoil like we're in right now, how much have you added to your life, right? And, and, and there, there, there are correlations to that level of stress and, you know, uh, health, health, health effects such as, you know, stroke and, and ulcers and things of that nature, right? And so this is a stress that we don't need to have, right? Yeah, and yeah. that's why I encourage people to have the conversation. 
Thank you again. We have a wide uh, range of age groups that listen to the My Future Business Show. Um, for those um, that are thinking about, wow, you know, this is really important information, what should they do first? And can they act at any age to start preparing, do you think? I, th I think you can act at any age, right? Now, if you're younger, definitely you have more potential upside. But I think, you know, first things first, you know, if you have a partner, uh, you need to initiate the conversation with your partner. Mm -hmm. uh, if you um, are older and, um, and you initiate the conversation with your partner, you know, do your children a favor, right? And, and, and when I say do them a favor, you know, sit down and have a conversation with them about money, right? And, you know, a lot of times we don't want to have conversations with money, uh, especially with adult children, because we don't want to be perceived as uh, getting in their business, right? And when I say have a conversation about money, I don't mean having a, a, uh, a quantitative conversation with money where you're asking them to pull out their checkbook and go through, through numbers. Yeah. What I want you to do is just to have a conversation with them as if you were counseling your younger self and explain to them, these are the things that I would have done, dif done differently. Yeah. If you have employer benefits, understand what they are. Read them with your HR department. If you don't understand or you don't have that resource, um, uh, find a, a financial advisor that can help you understand those benefits. Uh, put together a family budget. As I tell people, you know, who are often in awe of some of the most successful people in the world financially, uh, they look at Oprah, they look at Bill Gates, uh, those people have budgets. I mean, they spend a lot of money uh, hiring skilled professionals to do their accounting work, to do their finances, to make sure that the cash they have coming in is greater than the cash flows that are going out, meaning they're spending, right? Yeah. And at one point, at some point in time, their small budget turned into a large budget, and now they're very large budgets, right? And so the, the next thing I would tell everyone is, you know, spend time sitting down, thinking about where your money comes from and how you spend your money, right? And as you think about where your money comes from and your inflows, you know, in this time of uh, global crisis, financial crisis, it may be a good time for you to think about, is there a way I could diversify my income stream? So, you know, I applaud uh, when I, my, my, my friends that I see or people that I see out there that have used this period of time to figure out, you know, that side hustle. Okay, I've been furlonged, but they pull out the sewing machine and they start selling masks right? Yeah. Or they start doing grocery delivery for people on the block, or they start walking dogs for people who uh, can't come out in the element. You know, th those are important things. When you look at some of the innovations that we've seen um, in terms of business models, so look at, you know, right uh, share services like Uber and Lyft, or look at uh, things like Airbnb. One of the things that have made those very attractive is there are ways that people have changed business models so that people can have uh, a form of side hustle or a for form of income they can turn on or turn off at their discretion, right? Yeah. And so, you know, when you when you start looking at those types of things, those make you feel empowered, even if you don't act even if you don't act on them, you know, you do an evaluation of your skill set and you say, you know what, um, even though I like what I do as a career, I know if I had a problem, if my employer came to me and said, you know, uh, here's an early exit packet, package or, uh, you know, uh, I decided that, you know, I had to help a family member so I had to generate more income. 
you know what your skills are, you know what you can bring to bear, and you know you have a plan in the back of your mind in which you can go to action on. So it may be very well, you know, um, you know, you start your own catering business and you do that on the weekend. Even if you don't act on it, you have a plan in place that if something comes, you can empower yourself immediately. And as it relates to those expenses on the expense side, you know, what I find is people often don't know where their money goes, right? I often counsel clients that, you know, if you're in that position, whenever you make a purchase every day, what I want you to do is start journaling uh, at the end of every day what you spent your money on. So take the receipt. Oftentimes people say, hey, I don't want the paper, but take the receipt, put it in your pocket. Hmm. And at the end of the day, sit down and ask yourself, was that expense necessary, right? And then you start to figure out, you know, as you look at those trends, you know, you know, I like coffee, but that doesn't mean I need to buy five cups at four dollars a piece every day. Oh, yeah. right. Yep. Right. So you, right. So so then you then you start to have more control of your outflows. So when you control your inflows, you control your outflows or, you know, ways that you can control them. That is empowering. Right. And so that that is that is one way that, that I would I would deal with that. This is a magical call. There's been so much great content compressed into such a relatively short time. Now, when we look at the actual book itself, is this a cover to cover read or is it more of a resource guide that you can dog, dog ear and come back to? How do we consume the content inside this book? It, it is a cover to cover read because it tells a story. Um, although there's some chapters you can pick up uh, independently. But um, one of the things uh, that I mentioned that I want to talk about, one of the things that I explain in the, in the book is how do we get here, yeah. right? And so you, to your point, we're living longer, right? And we're in, a, we're in a system that has told us that everything, activity starts now when we're middle, stops now when we're middle age, but we have, you know, this life bonus of 20 to 30 years in front of us. And so one of the things I do is I take a look at, because I was curious about and I learned through my studies, as to how did this all start? And what I came to learn was that, you know, work was originally designed to match a person's longevity. Um, this whole thing of having this period of time where we just live a life of leisure, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Mm -hmm. It is very appropriate for a lot of people. But one of the things that we haven't recognized, and the reason when maybe my clients were looking so sad is everyone doesn't like that life of leisure. Uh, they do want to be able to engage in leisurely activities from time to time, but to do it every day um, is a bit overwhelming for them. So, you know, I, I, I have a client who's a business owner, and one of the things he told me was, look, um, Sunday is the hardest day of the week for me. And I said, <laughs> well, what does that mean? And he says, well, um, uh, uh, I work from Monday, I work Monday through Friday, we have the company open. And then on Saturdays, uh, I run around in the street and I see my friends and maybe I pick up parts for the company or, or whatever. And then Sunday, there's nothing to do. And my wife and children are all out of the house and I am bored to death. And I can't <laughs> imagine living Sunday, seven days a week. Uh, and, and when you think about it, you know, uh, a lot of people, who they are, there's a direct correlation to what they do. And so when you take that thing from them, and uh, uh, um, it, it really has a negative impact on um, them psychologically, uh, it has a negative impact on their health. And so 
Um, one of the things I've always, uh, when I was looking through, through all of this, one of the questions I asked is, where, have the, where has there ever been a uh, cohort of individuals that retired with lots of resources, young enough to have 30 years in front of them? And, and it took me a while to think about it, but it's professional athletes, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we look at the, this functional behavior professional athletes have historically engaged in after they've stopped, they've left the league and we look at them and we demonize them for being spoiled, rich, um, ungrateful individuals. But a lot of this comes from the fact that they have had a break from identity. They have been playing the sport since they were six or seven years old. All they've known is the cheer from the crowd or, you know, the goal of enhancing their speed or, or building another uh, type of skill. Right. Yeah. And then in their case, they don't even have, they don't even know it's coming. Right. You could just find out you got traded or cut and it's over with. Right. Yep, and so now you have to go back into society as a civilian. Right. I, I think this may happen also to career military people as well. I haven't had a chance to look at that cohort, but I would be uh, very interested in doing so. So, um, you know, who, who you are has a lot to do uh, with uh, what you do. And so, as I mentioned, when we look at, you know, when retirement first came to be, which would have been somewhere in the 1700s, and it was very informally done, it was really, you know, a farmer has a farm, uh, a farmer had sons, and at some point in time realized that they could not be as active, although they could do some activities. They didn't fully want to stop activities, but they couldn't do the activities they once did. So they went to their sons and they made an agreement, you know, I will give you the title to my land if you agree to take care of me for the rest of my life. And this is our agreement, you know, um, I am not going to plow the field anymore, but I will feed the chickens. I will take inventory um, and I will negotiate when we go to market to sell our goods and services, whatever the, the arrangement yep. was. So those were the first pension uh, plans. They weren't formal pension plans. <laughs> there were really more agreements among, uh, among families, but that was really the structure. And so, you know, when we start to get to the late 1800s and we start going into manufacturing and an industrialized society, what started to happen was, um, um, and this uh, this kind of parallels to your earlier questions about relationships. Um, back then, uh, because you were running this agricultural economy um, and running this farm, um, kinships were very important because you needed a lot of family members to produce a large bounty, right? And so now you move into this period. So when you so when you went into uh, when you went into this work transition back then, uh, you could negotiate your terms. I will give you my land. I'll work uh, four hours a day. And uh, you kept all your social relationships because those social relationships were necessary for survival. Your cousins, even if you hated them, you needed them to go out and, grow and share crop with you. Okay. So then you move to the industrial society where, you know, now you can get a job in the manufacturing plant. And so now I don't need that social relationship as much. You know, I can go in and work the assembly line and um, I may and I may see my cousin who I used to be alongside of every day working. I may see them, you know, maybe once a week and that's okay. I'm going to get a paycheck. So our relationship is not 
uh, uh, based on uh, both of our survival, right? I only see my cousin because I like my cousin, okay? Mm -hmm. In addition to that, when it came to the workplace, that's when management science started to come in the workplace. And so it became, you know, that's when the, the, the manager came along or the supervisor came around with the stop watching the clipboard and said, um, I want somebody who can swing the hammer uh, 50 times in, in a minute, right? And if you couldn't, you were out of the workforce. And so the wisdom that came with age was devalued in the workforce. And mm -hmm. so what happened is you got a younger workforce and older people were encouraged to go out. And what came in at that point in time was the formal pension systems. They were negotiated between labor and management. Uh, uh, labor wanted to uh, reward uh, longevity and seniority in the workplace, and uh, management wanted the youngest employee possible so their manufacturing facility could run faster and run longer shifts. And so the happy compromise was the pension system. Um, so we will take all the young people and keep them in the factory, and we will reward the older people by giving them incentives not to come into the factory because we believe it could create a hazard. You know, if they the person can't hit the nail when they're laying the railroad track as hard as they once did and the railroad track comes loose and the bridge falls, mm -hmm. then I would have been better off from an economic standpoint paying them a pension not to come to work. And so we tend to think of, you know, these uh, entitlements and safety nets that we got from our employer uh, as uh, being uh, designed out of the goodness of the employer's heart back in, in the day because they wanted to see us have this nice leisurely period of time, but that wasn't the motivative motivation. I'm not yeah, saying yeah. that there weren't employers that, did, that, that, that cared about their employees, but that wasn't the primary motivation. And so we came to uh, think that that was the reason, but there may have been a different motive. Yeah. And then when we fast forward to the uh, global recession of the 80s and the 70s and 80s, what happened was companies started for the first time really offering early retirement. They were trying to uh, deal with this uh, economic problem by incenting uh, people who were more expensive labor to leave and um, creating jobs for people who would be less expensive than the workforce. So for the first time, you started to see retirement become a lifestyle where a person was leaving uh, in, in, in their 50s and their life expectancy was their late 60s or maybe 70s. And so they had this 10 years to play with. And so all of a sudden, all of us came to think about, you know, if I don't have, you know, this 10-year period where I get to go out and play and lots of money to do it with because there was a lot of wealth created in the 80s, then I'm a failure. And that's not true. What we were experiencing in this period of time was really maybe an anomaly, right? And so we tend to think, be, be, because uh, we're in a modern age now, that that's the way it always was, but it wasn't designed that way. You know, the early settlers worked until they could work no more, mm -hmm. right? There was this period of leisure. And I'm not saying that a period of leisure is wrong. I think it is very appropriate for a lot of people. But if a person is entering into it and they don't feel fulfilled, there's a reason why. 
Yeah, this is just uh, incredibly powerful. There's probably so much more that we could discuss. Um, it is something that I can only assume that inside of this book, a lot of your time, your energy, your experiences has been condensed into. Now, um, given that we're at this point in the call, where are people going to find this wonderful book? Uh, it is available on Amazon, so I'll hold up a copy of it. It is called Exit from Work. Fantastic. Love the cover. <laughs> and it's and it's Amazon. So look, everybody who is looking for this book, I will be um, making the links uh, back to Greg's book available on this post below this video. No matter where you find it, you're going to find the link back to that book. And Greg, in closing, I have just had such a wonderful time spending some time with you on the My Future Business Show today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I appreciate it uh, being able to join you. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends, and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.